Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. I feel like this is the first time we've been in the studio together in a while. Yeah, I think so. Oh. You've you've been out on the road in undisclosed locations, yes. and we're recording now very quickly because I got to go hop on a plane to go to an undisclosed location. <laughs> cool. It's October. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows where we are. Where it's we're the going? Playoffs. We're in the playoffs. <laughs> cool. So, what are the top lines? The top lines is midterm mania. We're in the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about how things are looking with just. My gosh, like less than three weeks to go and then it's all over, except that it's not because there's runoffs. And anyhow, midterms almost here. We'll discuss then immigration. Margie and I partnered on a big study on the topic. Plus, my business partner, Patrick, has a great new analysis of some data on what are voters thinking about this big issue and how big of an issue is immigration. We'll take a look at some polling that susses out what are the issues that are really driving people's vote. We'll take a little bit of a look at some info on youth voter turnout. Are the kids actually going to vote this year? And finally, some data on the hidden tribes, the things that divide us, a big groundbreaking study about the seven types of American voter and why it seems like sometimes we just can't agree on anything. Cool. So first, though, you know, it's the usual stuff we like to talk about. What's going on in the land of 2020 Democratic primary, right? It's never too early to talk about the next presidential election, I guess. It is a little too early. I think Democrats might feel like it's a little too early. But CNN decided, overruled, it is not too early. They released a primary poll, Democratic primary poll. And these things, they're funny. I don't know. People like to talk about them. But they're just basically name ID stuff at this rate, but at this stage of the game. But, you know, sure, why not? Joe Biden, he leads. He's got 33 percent of the vote in a Democratic primary field, according to the latest CNN poll. Bernie Sanders is number two, 13. Kamala Harris is at nine, followed by Elizabeth Warren. This was before her video and DNA test. I don't know if that changes things. Who knows? After that all came out, I think it was Matt Iglesias. And all he tweeted was just the word Klobuchar in parentheses. <laughs> the wind cries Klobuchar. <laughs> I mean, you know, Cory Booker's at five. John Kerry, which I'm I'm a little surprised to see on this list, is at five. Michael Bloomberg's at four. Beto O'Rourke at four. Eric Holder at three. Eric Garcetti at two. Michael Avenatti at one. Whoa! I'm, he's in the poll! 
<laughs> I mean, uh, okay, so let's. I'm. I'm it's t- over. Okay, but it's. I his his time is expired for sure. Wow, this is coming from you. Yes, it is over. It is. You know, it is over for America. Michael Avenatti is losing his base. <laughs> He's lost oh, the base. I mean, wow. When he said he was going to run for office, that was really. You know, we started to kind of get out of get out of control. It's really been over. But um, but yeah. And he's at 1% of the vote here. And he's probably has higher name ID than some of these folks, although not as high as probably we, we might think. Anyway, these this this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I remember going back when I was trying to figure out, like, because Trump kind of started off lower-ish in the Republican polls, but then shot up pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, Bernie Sanders back, like, last cycle had been, I mean, down in the 2 3% right. range and then all of a sudden was very much so not. Yes. Um, so, you know, you never know if you're going to be poor Martin O'Malley. You know, you're going to kind of stay at that 3% range or if you're going to, you know, blow it out like Bernie and go yeah. from 3 to 33 to 4, you know, like, way up the list. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I looked at like CNN's. Are you going to have that like that thing from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where they have that like gum or whatever it is, and all of a sudden they're like flying or a drink and they're on bubbles all the way to the top of the you know <laughs> top of the tower <laughs> or not? <laughs> the Veruca Salt of the situation. Yes. Um, no, I. Uh, but I think I remember looking at CNN's polling from two thousand and like seven or two thousand and six for this. This senator named Barack Obama was polling around, you know, like two or three percent. So, like, yeah, anything can happen, kids. Anything can happen. Yeah. But anyway, there's a poll about the primary. We thought y'all might want to know. Yep. Uh, presidential job approval. Uh, this polling showed a slight uptick for the president. Approve at forty three point six percent, which is, I think, the highest it's been during his presidency. Uh, this does not factor in uh, horse face. Um, right. Not that that will move polls, as we now know. But like, I'm going to pretend I'm a cable news anchor. Kristen, do you think Trump's horse face tweet will change? I, I reject your question. <laughs> it will change the premise what happens in <laughs> the 60 battleground congressional races. <laughs> the, <laughs> how much? How many points? No, please answer the question. <laughs> what? How many points do you think this will move? Um, I, I will say the the chit chat among the folks that I talked to on the right is that if the election were held today, things would be probably better for us than they would have been like a month or two ago. Um, but also with an understanding of the fragility of that situation. And like it may not be horse face, but like the idea that there is some banana crackers, crazy Saudi Arabia. Uh, yeah. It's a, some kind of anything that could go down and change this. Still got a ways to go. Yes. Um, so let's and obviously these numbers are not good, even if they are not the worst they've ever been. There's still there's there's no there's no number here in his approval rating that's ever going to be strong. Period. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a lot of really interesting data that is out there on the youth vote question, and uh, I was very excited because there is a 538 analysis of all of this polling by 538's Jeffrey Skelly that does a far better job than I ever would have done. Like I was I went to sit down to write a column on the new Tufts Circle poll and then saw that this existed. And I was like, oh, great. Someone at 538 already wrote this column and wrote it better than me. Uh, So I wrote a column on the Hidden Tribes thing and then later discovered David Brooks had written a column on the Hidden Tribes thing. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I want to give everyone a sort of brief rundown of, of this synthesis because 
you know, in a lot of these polls, people are like, oh, you know, female voters really fired up, right? African-American voters pretty fired up. But young voters is like a piece of the Democratic coalition where that remains a question mark. Right. Are they really fired up? I mean, they may maybe they say so in polls, but we know that it's a heavy lift in midterms. And um, Skelly has done this. He's taken a look at the current population survey data about, okay, what percentage of citizens 18 and older have voted you know, reported voting in the midterms. Um, in 1998, it was less than a quarter of young people. It ticked up to exactly a quarter in the 2006 midterms, which were really good for Democrats, but then kind of fell off. 10 fell off pretty big in 14. So it is an open question, right? This is self-report because it's based on the CPS. Yes. So it's not based on the voter file, like a voter file analysis. Not that that one is right or wrong because voter files have their own, you know, biases in terms of capturing younger people. But anyway, just Sure. Um, so one thing that that Circle, um, the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University did, <laughs> is they've actually looked at voter files and they've done uh. an analysis that showed, like, for instance, they say 23 percent of 18 to 29 year olds turned out in the Alabama special, the Roy Moore, Doug Jones. So 23 percent is not great. On the other hand, like that's a special election, like special election turnouts tends to not not be so great. Um, They estimated that 34 percent of young people turned out in Virginia's gubernatorial election, which really exceeded what they think happened four years earlier. So they, Circle believes, not just looking at polling, but looking at actual voter files, that young voters are showing a slight increase. They're not going to turn out the same level of senior citizens. That's not what we're saying. But are they going to overperform relative to what we would expect for young voters? That that's potentially really likely. And Harvard's IOP poll, uh, they have been asking, you know, how how likely do you think you are to vote? Are you definitely going to vote? The last time they had like a really high watermark, according to the Skelly piece, was that 34 percent said that they would definitely vote in the midterms in uh, in their fall 2013 survey. But the last time they asked, it was up to 37 percent. So a new record high of young people saying they would definitely vote. Again, that's self-report. We don't know if that'll turn up right. at the polls. But there is, there are a smattering of data points to suggest like if young voters really do wind up turning out in bigger numbers, we shouldn't have been surprised because there right. were signs all along saying this might happen. Right. And I think the the point that you make that young people are never going to vote at the same rate as senior citizens. So it's just relative to expectations is an important one because there's definitely been times like when Democrats haven't done well, people are like, what is wrong with young people? They voted more in 16. You know, they voted more in 12 than they did in the, you know, Virginia gubernatorial election in 13 and whatever. No kidding. (laughs) So did like every other voter group. That's that's how this works. Right. It was eight and nine. But anyway, and so they're like, it's obvious that, you know, Obama made young people mad. And so they didn't vote in this, you know, odd year election. And and I just find that a little disingenuous because that's just that's just too high of a bar for younger people that for all the obvious like sort of structural and behavioral reasons that, you know, we don't need to go into, but should be blindingly obvious, you know, but it's still important to look at like what their aspirations are in terms of voting, how that's changed, how that changes based on how competitive a race is or whether you speak to them. I mean, that's the other thing, just reaching out to young voters. Is that seen as a waste of campaign resources? I mean, that's the other issue. Like, what kind of contact are people doing with younger voters if they turn out at such a lower rate? Does that make it not a very cost effective group for campaigns to target? Because 
they're not, you know, you have to contact them more and they're harder to find because they have fractured media or they're not sitting around at their landline waiting for somebody to call them with a GOTV call or what, or they move around from place to place. So they may not be exactly where you think they live. So does that make them more too expensive given how often they vote for campaigns to reach out? And does that actually magnify the problem? Anyway, that's not what these studies capture, but it's worth just thinking about. But the other, the other final note just to dip into the selfie vote archives. Yes. A message you all have heard. Still relevant. Still <laughs> still relevant. Still relevant. Uh, still good advice. You have three weeks to take it, Republicans. <laughs> Hurry. Bean read it. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, uh, so Pew has also done some work on this, uh, as they want to do. And they find that young voters don't so we know that young voters lean fairly heavily Democratic. But one thing that may be a good sign for Republicans, bad sign for Democrats, is that only about half of registered voters younger than 30 say partisan control of Congress really matters, that there's like a little bit of this like, oh, they're all terrible. Like, I don't like all of them going on with young voters, which was always my argument was like, hey, Republicans, young voters don't like anybody. So like, you got a they shot. They might as well like you. You got a shot. You got a shot. Um, so to the extent so that like saying that there's a chance. Still, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, so to the extent that that does persist, like just keep in mind, Republicans, keep in mind. OK. Well, let's talk about immigration because we yeah. did some really cool work together on this. Yes. Yeah, so we did a joint bipartisan project, uh, our my firm and Kristen's firm for New American Economy, the organization New American Economy on immigration. And so we did a qual we did two qual boards. So an online bulletin board focus group where you can look at pe- talk to people around the country at their convenience. So we talked to people in battleground districts. We had one Democratic leaning voters who were Democratic leaning from about 100 battleground districts and voters who were Republican leaning from about 100 battleground districts. And and what was interesting from the qual board, and then Chris can talk about the quant work, is you can ask people to, you know, find pictures online that capture how they think about these different topics and see what language they use. And they can, you know, click on, like you can an online survey, click on, you know, language from a message that you give them what they like or what they don't like. And um, and so similar, you know, it, it, it uses some of the strengths of a focus group setting, um, but also has the convenience of being able to talk to people around the country simultaneously so you're not making decisions about, like, which market to go to and so on. And, you know, we found – I mean, the, one of the goals of the project here, and we certainly found it in the qual and then in the quant, is can you find language that on immigration, which is considered the sort of hyperpolarizing topic, which it may be in practice, but it doesn't have to be in theory that, you know, v- voters have more – there's a lot more um, – there's a lot less daylight between the parties in practice. That you, There are a lot of, you know, different values and goals and beliefs that people share, you know, in a way that brings more people together rather than having to use immigration to divide people. So what did you – and then we tried to confirm those findings. And it wasn't just the big picture but also on specific policies. And then Kristen and Patrick worked on that in the survey. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we found in the survey was that there – the people have, you know, they're not uh, opposed to immigrants. They just have concerns for their sort of own well-being. And when they think that their own well-being is coming into conflict with 
immigrants and not, not just economic. Like I think a big finding from our study is, you know, this isn't just like, oh, they're coming and taking our jobs. There are real concerns that a, a, a broad swath of the public has about, you know, are folks assimilating? You know, why are folks coming here? Um, we find that people think if you're coming here to keep your family safe, like that's a very good reason to come here. And that's probably a reason why a lot of people come and here. And that is the main one of the main reasons that people think people are coming here. I mean, the you know, sort of this like pejorative news thread of what what voters think immigrants are coming you know the reason that immigrants are coming here is actually not borne out i mean people think that immigrants are coming here for the reasons that they hope they're coming here to make a better life for their family to provide good economic stability to flee violence or uh, you know instability in their home country yeah and that when you talk about how folks who come to the United States come here because they want the same things that you want. They want a good life for their family. They want them to be safe. They want them to have opportunity. When you sort of talk about it in that way, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are uh, – however, when you talk about it like, oh, like immigrants are actually like they're bringing all of these things to the U.S. that we don't have or they're filling in gaps that we don't have or they're doing things better than we're doing them. Like then you start to lose some people in the poll. People are like, ah, uh, are we really going to say something? They're, they're better? Like, don't say they're better than me. I mean, that's that's kind of a a sense that you get from the data that people are very much more open to an argument that says, like, immigrants, they're just like us. They share the same core values and that really focuses on where there is overlap, where there is, you know, where there are similarities, where there are common shared values. And that they there is, I'm just quoting from the report now, there is strong support for an immigration system that reflects our highest values and ideals, freedom, hard work, and treating people with decency and respect, which applies to how we treat immigrants and what we ask of immigrants striving to become Americans. It's kind of viewed viewing it as a two-way street. And so you find that like people don't there's a there's a very small port, you know, maybe like a quarter or less. And I've talked about that one quarter of voters as like the core, you know, Trump base at times that like they actually think that immigration is is bad or has all of these negative effects. But a lot of people kind of wind up in this middle where they say there's there's good things we get from it. It does enrich our country in many ways, but we also have to do it thoughtfully. Yeah. And, and my hope this is beyond the scope of the study. This is just my hope. My hope is that that core group that feels, you know, that for whom immigration is salient in, in a way, and it's not to say that voters haven't been concerned about immigration on the right, you know, in previous elections, but that a lot of, you know, some of that is, you know, Trump fan, fan that fan the flames there. That wasn't quite the same pattern we saw in previous elections. That's something that, you know, we've talked about this. There's obviously a lot of academic research about this. Uh, it was, you know, really big, uh, you know, big driver in 16. It was a driver in the Republican primary. It was a driver in the general election. Does that, you know, it doesn't, that, does, that doesn't have to be a permanent feature of our politics. We can, you know, hopefully come back from that moment, you know, there was a time, I'm old enough to remember when we had a Republican president trying to have some kind of, you know, consensus, bipartisan, you know, plan on immigration. Can we get back to that um, in some at some future date? And uh, the polling suggests that voters can get there. So hopefully politicians will also be able to get there. Well, there and so there's another study, the, the Democracy Fund Voter Study Group, that asked a bunch of questions about this topic. And Patrick Ruffini at Echelon did... Uh, an analysis where he kind of find, he he sort of unpacks like so okay we we did this poll right we find that huge portions of America all kind of agree or there's this middle ground and there's this consensus and like so why does this not get reflected in our actual politics and tries to you know 
unpack that. And he finds that one, like when you ask people of, of to sort of – he basically gives people an index score, you know, asking people a whole bunch of questions about do you think immigrants make a net positive contribution to society? Should there be a legal way to make them immigrants? What do you think about the Muslim ban? What do you think about dreamers? You know, taking all of these questions and then gives people sort of a, a score, pro or anti-immigration. And then he sort of plots out, you know, the distribution. OK, so what's the distribution of Democrats, independent? Republicans, which is a more interesting way, I think, of looking at the data than just mm-hmm. like what's the mean right. score and finds that for for Democrats, that it really clusters very pro-immigration, that there's like that they are that they're very, very open to it and that the party is fairly condensed. The, the, the distribution is very narrow, where for Republicans, the distribution is pretty broad, that you do have sort of the bulk of the party over in a more kind of anti-immigration place, but a fairly hefty amount of it kind of bleeds over into the middle, that it's it's not like there's not a big spike in the distribution, right. that it's it's much sort of more spread out. However, what he also then finds is they, they ask about sort of how important is this issue to you and then plots it out by, you know, folks who are pro or anti-immigration. And that for those who are very pro-immigration, they tend to be, you know, it's somewhat important or it's it's not very important. Where for those who say they are an- the, the very important folks really tend to cluster around the more anti-immigration. I mean, there's there are it's 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 not just a normal distribution, but like it, it tends to be the anti-immigration folks are much more likely to say this is a big issue for them, which, again, distorts the politics around it. Yeah, I think that is mostly aligns with the conventional wisdom. I think there's sort of this counter narrative that Democrats are also divided on immigration and, you know, primaries being won on lost and Democrats, you know, slugging it out over ice and things like that. I don't I don't think that that's true in practice. It doesn't sound like that's true in the in the survey work that you've done. I do know that there are a lot of Democrats who I think have been were activated by family separation in a way that, you know, I think was, you know, probably changed up this conventional wisdom that immigration is something that only is an issue on the right. I mean, there. Are, I mean, it's not just Democrats who find family separation terrible. I mean, it's a overwhelmingly sure. unpopular p- policy. Uh, so, so, but nonetheless, I think as a broader pattern, that's very much consistent with you know what we've what we've seen in all kinds of things, which is Democrats are more unified on a variety of issues. Immigration is one of them. This issue, though, while it divides the Republican Party, there's a vocal part that's not actually really a majority of the electorate, but somehow you know drives the conversation in a way that you know may in fact alienate a lot of other voters, including voters in their own party. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. All right, we're back. Let's talk midterm madness. Uh, let's look at the generic ballot um, now that we've we've sort of gotten past some of the bigger atmospherics. Uh, generic ballot remains D plus 7.2 in the Real Clear Politics average. Although I feel like of the last couple of polls that have come out, they've all been D plus double digits. Like the Washington Post poll was D plus 11. Yeah. At Washington Post ABC, I should um, say. I feel like it was The Economist may have been the only one that wasn't 
well, there, I think there were two that weren't double digits for Democrats. Right. Um, so so the that that generic ballot margin on the RCP chart like is very like stubbornly isn't moving let's, even though let's see if it's changed since the script was made. Is it still 7.2? I Drum roll, please. Yeah. It's 7.2. It's still 7.2. But again. But yeah, it was 11 and then Economist YouGov was 6. Reuters was 12. CNBC was 6. CNN, 13. So there are three that had it like 11 to 13 and then – Three, if we go back one more, the head at like Which, mid to high it's single It's a very digits. different world if it's six versus if it's 12. Like, oh, yeah. Congress is very different in those two scenarios. Oh, yeah. So which scenario is right is also going to depend on who you think is likely sure. to turn out to vote. And in the ABC Washington Post poll, they asked these questions about enthusiasm. So we already touched on the like under 30 set uh, and how they're showing some signs of increased uh engagement in the ABC Washington Post poll, that is also the case. They find that compared to four years ago, where you had 42 percent of the under 40 sets, this is expanding a little broadly, 42 percent of the under 40 set said, I'm absolutely certain to vote. That's now up to two thirds. And again, two thirds of these folks are not absolute, like in reality are right. not absolutely going to vote. But the fact that so many more are self-reporting it yeah. may portend a change. Right. Um, whereas the bump for 65 and up is only like 82, you know, four, four points. It went from 78 to 82. There just wasn't – you can't you, – it doesn't go to 11, right? Like there's right. only so much more you can juice turnout among groups that already have high turnout levels. By party break, Republicans were much more energized in 2014 – where this time around it is the Democrats who are the most energized. 81% say they are certain to vote only uh, compared to 79% of Republicans, which there are more Democrats than Republicans in America. Let's just stipulate that because hey, I am tired of fighting Twitter I'm, wars. I'm You're so, tired of fighting Twitter wars. But over I the, saw – I've seen Republicans who say that it should all be equal otherwise – you're part of the lamestream pollster media. Just <laughs> fire at the microphone. So, yeah, Democrats, 81 oh. percent say that it, so it should actually reflect. If, if Republicans and Democrats turn out in equal numbers, that's bad news for Republicans. There are because there are more Democrats. That yeah. is the math. Yeah. That is cold, hard. In truth. Equal, right. In an equal percentage. Yes. Except in a state like Texas. I mean, but like na nationally, which is a national poll. Um, and independents are. I mean, independent's going to independent, right? Always. But even here, 72% well, of them waiting. say, I I'm still want... definitely going to vote. <laughs> um, so additionally, the turnout among white voters, they are showing an eight-point jump in absolutely certain to vote. But for non-white voters, it is a 24-point jump. So really, I mean, this is just another data point to suggest the election, the electorate is going to look different than the last midterm. So it's, here are just a couple other things because these – Demos, I think, are important for folks thinking about this. In this is the same Washington Post ABC poll, white men without a college degree, that's a heavily Republican group. Their certainty to votes, again, self-report is lower and it's increased. It's lower than average. It's increased less than other groups. White women with college degree are up 15 percent in their certainty. So now they're at 88 percent white women with a college degree. That's – um. That's a pretty heavily Democratic group. Yeah, I mean, the, the change from 14 comes from Democratic-leaning groups. Democrats themselves, people 18 30 to 39, non-white, 
I mean, if this, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you have a good poll that's favorable toward one side or the other, then that's true kind of all the way, you know, all the way around. So it could be this was a plus 11 D poll. So it it's, makes sense to me that there'd be more enthusiasm on these Democratic groups compared to previous polls. We don't know if this was if this is what will actually be true three weeks from now. Or it could still have been true when this poll was taken and not be true three weeks from now. You know, we don't know yet. Um, uh, but it's still is a sign of a of a favorable Democratic climate, to be sure. So one other uh, poll that I, I mentioned at the top of the show that I want to just touch on is this Hidden Tribes report. Um, so a bunch of researchers with More in Common, which is a group that I, I believe it was launched in the wake of the killing of Joe Cox in the UK. Mm. Um, I, I think it's or it's it's linked to that because that's when I was going back through and trying to do research. I'm like, oh, who's behind this poll? It's a bunch of researchers, folks from from YouGov who all you know wanted to understand really in depth what was going on in the American electorate. Um, there are some pieces of this report that made me chuckle that like made me think like, I think these are people from Europe doing this report because like, for instance, conservatives are coded as blue and Democrat or, and like progressives are coded as red <laughs> at one point. And I'm like, aha, clue. <laughs> That's not how we do it here in the States. Uh, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm being kidding a little bit. But um, but this is a cool study because they break the electorate down into seven groups, progressive activists, which they show is 8 percent of the electorate. Traditional liberals, 11 percent. Passive liberals, 15 percent. Then you get this group, the politically disengaged, 26, which I think conventional wisdom is that the politically disengaged, oh, they must – they lean more left. They're just not not participating. But what they actually find is that the politically disengaged is like – they actually ha- like over-index for kind of disturbing views on race, like that they like think being white is an important part of like – American identity. Like it's kind of – I don't know how they did this. I, I know they used cluster analysis to do the segmentation. But their politically disengaged view group almost like has like a, a f- alt-righty flavors to mm. it, which is is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, I, I not broad – I mean, again, it's, it's a – they're disengaged. So their views are kind of all over the place. Right. But like it over-indexes for like being open to conspiracy theories and things like that. Right. Um, moderates in their study are – uh, in in many cultural ways, actually lean to the right. I, I so I, I appreciate this because it continues to kind of blow up this idea that like oh the political the middle is fiscally conservative but socially progressive. Like no, they're even finding the moderates. It's kind of the opposite, right? They're culturally conservative a little more, but they, you know, they're not like yeah let's slash government. Um, mm. Then you have traditional conservatives at 19 percent, devoted conservatives at 6 percent. That's the little symbol they have is a little red hat. It's a very interesting topology of the electorate. I wrote a column that's going up at the Examiner today about how with these moderates and politically disengaged, there are lots of areas where Democrats could be making inroads with them. But I think there are certain things like around political correctness, religion, free speech, where those groups actually lean more toward the right. And are those values questions going to be barriers to Democrats in trying to reach this who these researchers have called the middle? It's a really it's it's like this report is like 200 pages long. There is a ton to go through. Asking questions about do people think that white privilege exists? Do they think that there is sexism? Another fun nugget from the yes. study. Well, another fun <laughs> nugget from the study is they what ask. What type am I in? Yes wait, and yes. 
There's a group for you here, okay. Marjorie. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> found my hidden que- tribe. Question. Feminism. <laughs> Which do you agree with more? Feminism. F- today's feminists fight for important issues or today's feminists just attack men? Oh, God. <laughs> 96% of the progressive activists say they fight for important issues. Devoted conservatives, 92% say they just attack men. So, look, this study goes through, like, here's. Here's, it's not just that we can't agree on, like, what should the top marginal tax rate be. Like, we can't agree on That just – that reminds me – that reminds me of my – I'm sure I've told the story of my very, very first television hit ever when I was, like, 18 as <laughs> the college, college feminist. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, the woman, the, like, the the older non-feminist, there were, like, a college feminist and a college non-feminist and then, like, an older woman feminist and an older woman non-feminist. And um, the non-feminist said, like, oh, you know, feminists are just out to attack men, basically. And I was like, I, I, you know, I was 17 or 18. I just not even, I'm like, what are you, it, it, you know, I had no idea that that was the perception of feminism until that moment in the chair on television. I was like, oh, I had no idea that that's how people view this. Yeah. But anyway, I am now fully aware. But um, it's interesting, these seg- these segmentations, right, are now, they're very cool, right? We've talked about other public segmentation projects before. Pew just released this study we cited earlier, but the big, the deep dive of it is the difference between the two parties or whether you're supporting or R and a D and what you think the big problems are facing the country. And they're just completely divergent sets of what you think the problems are, like just your perception of what the cha- what are the challenges we face. And they are just – they couldn't – you know, the parties couldn't be farther apart uh, on anything, uh, you know, on, on all on all these – you know, on every like 15 issues here. And then you're talking about the segmentation. I mean it's interesting to see all the different ways people sort themselves and all these massive differences. That's an interesting way of looking at it. It also – doesn't it reinforce how hard it is to get some, you know, to find any kind of consensus person or consensus opinion? You know, it's just how do you talk to folks when they have completely different rankings of issues and different perspectives? I mean, it's, you know, this is why it's very difficult right now. Yeah. I mean, the Pew poll, what I like about this Pew study that tries to understand what issues are most important to people is, you know, you can have two kind of I don't want to say sides of the same issue because these they don't have to be intention, but are uh, often are. So, do you think that illegal immigration is a problem? If you think illegal immigration is a problem, you favor Republicans over Democrats. Or, like if it's one of your top issues, if you say it's a very big problem, if you say illegal immigration is a very big problem, seventy-five to nineteen favoring Republicans. However, if you say the way immigrants in the who are in the country illegally are treated is a big problem. 57 to 15, you favor Democrats. So even it's not even saying do you agree or disagree. It's just asking like how big a problem something is can just lead to such enormous divides, even in just the framing of how you think about the issue. Yep. 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 So last but not least, we want to talk about uh, reboots. Let's talk about reboots. <laughs> Fine. You know, we haven't had a good like – silly poll for a while. <laughs> Even our silly polls were serious, I think. So we have a good silly poll on which of the following shows. If the following shows were rebooted, how likely you would be to watch, right? I guess if everything is now gets a reboot. Mm-hmm. And I do feel, I feel a little old that the reboots don't seem 
that long ago. You know, I feel like the reboot should be like from this, like a black and white show from the sixties. Like I don't feel yeah, like the like, office is on like here. It and girl, I'm like, you know, no, the office still holds up fine. We don't. Need, I don't need a new Jim and Pam yet. Yeah, I'm good. Right, with the old and one. yeah, right. If you feel like you need more Office, just go watch the English version. I guess I don't know. So, um. So, like, Home Improvement was the one that people said they'd be most likely to watch, which I I veto that, re- that reboot. I don't want to be here for this. What happened to Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Uh, uh, yeah. Who was that? Never mind. No. <laughs> I don't. Good. I don't want to. I mean, so in my – in focus groups for the icebreaker, I ask people what their favorite <laughs> TV show is. Just – it's, like, a good way to hear, like, hear a little bit about what they're into Get a little insight in their personality, and it's an easy question. And everybody likes TV. You know, occasionally it'll be, you know, people are like, I don't watch TV. I just read, you know, read books all the time. But okay, but for the most part, people, it's peak TV. Everybody has, you know, something that they like to watch. And the answers are just incredibly diverse and amazing. They're just amazing. And sometimes I'll hear things like I've never heard before, like I watch old westerns or whatever, like, you know, stuff you're like, I didn't know that you could do that. And, And people are watching, you know, they can literally now watch anything. I don't think I've had anybody say that they watch Home Improvement, you know, or Alf or any or Mad About You, like, and none of the things on this, you know, half of the things on this list. I've not heard anybody say, yeah. Well, Tim Allen has a show. I mean, it's not Home Improvement, but that Last Man Standing show, which is now getting good ratings, but like Mm. bounced from network to network because it's kind of like. The the network sitcom tale of a Trump supporter in a non-Trumpy world, like it's right. you know, but so but, well, well, home improvement itself was not political. I feel like Seinfeld deserves to be higher up this list, if only because of the at Seinfeld Today Twitter account that went through back like a couple years ago, positing like, if Seinfeld were to come back today, like what are some of the plot lines they could tackle? And it's things like Elaine's autocorrect makes her look racist in front of her new boss. <laughs> Elaine, why would they even program that in? Jerry going, I'm sure they didn't. Um, That's good. The Wi-Fi George usually steals suddenly has a password. Like, <laughs> George refuses to listen to his girlfriend's voicemails and gets dumped. It's 2015. Uh, Send a text. Uh, I don't want to have to hear your voice if that, I don't have to. That, 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 like, that's there good. are so much. That's like, good. Our modern technology would create like a rich tapestry on which <laughs> of, of Seinfeld fodder. Um yeah, that's good. But you can still catch Seinfeld currently in and Friends. You can you could watch. Yeah, I don't want to reboot much. Friends. They would ruin it. They would ruin it. Just I, keep it as is. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Mad about you is kind of an interesting choice on here. I think, but I, you know, I guess why not? Alf. Yeah, I think Alf probably. I thought they were trying to reboot. It. Like I actually thought that was a thing. Yeah, no, it's a thing I don't want. I don't. I don't. There's not many things here I, I want. I guess it's maybe that makes me. My choice off this list is Family Matters. <laughs> I need a new Urkel. I need. I need Urkel in my life. I. I don't. You know. I guess. I mean, I really did enjoy ER at the at, when it was happening. I mean, I really enjoyed. Like in the beginning of ER, I was like totally there for it. I. I feel like if you wanted ER still, you would watch Grey's Anatomy and you'd be perfectly fine. But maybe you want more. More medical than Grey's Anatomy, I think, does. But I don't Grey's know. Anatomy is not a medical documentary. No. Like, you're not actually like, <laughs> No, but ER, you, I, ER, they, you know, they had some like, you know, they occasionally had some actual medical things to attend to. It wasn't just like, 
romance. Okay. All right. Key findings. Uh, the country is still divided, folks. House versus Senate, most important issue, rural versus urban, which we didn't talk about, but just take our word for it. But it doesn't have to be that way. See our immigration work as an example. But if there is a mandate for home improvement reboots, I don't even know what to say anymore. I feel like then my sensor would be completely off. You can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K. Soltis Anderson or at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.